Written by Timothy Dudley Smith, it's Tell Out My Soul the Greatness of the Lord. soul the greatness of the lord that came from a compilation album and it doesn't say who it was but to me it sounds like the all souls orchestra possibly at a prom praise concert but now david will tell us about today's sonnet from malcolm Geit. malcolm Geit has written a poem to celebrate the visit of the angel gabriel to the virgin mary to tell her about the coming birth of jesus Mary's response was to celebrate by writing the Magnificat. We hear the Cambridge singers perform part of John Rutter's Magnificat. Then Malcolm reads his poem, Annunciation. After that, we hear part of the Taizé Magnificat.
here is my sonnet uh, for the Feast of the Annunciation, when the angel came to Mary. Annunciation. We see so little stayed on surfaces. We calculate the outsides of all things. Preoccupied with our own purposes, we miss the shimmer of the angels' wings. They coruscate around us in their joy, a swirl of wheels and eyes and wings unfurled. They guard the good we purpose to destroy, a hidden blaze of glory in God's world. But on this day, a young girl stopped to see with open eyes and heart. She heard the voice, the promise of his glory yet to be, as time stood still for her to make a choice. Gabriel knelt, and not a feather stirred. The word himself was waiting on her word. of a tese setting of the Magnificat. But we're going back to something written for congregational singing again, and it's the Sheffield Celebration Choir with To God be the glory, great things he has done, so loved to the world he gave us his son.
would be the glory. And that was the Sheffield Celebration Choir. Now, that one was written by Fanny Crosby. Now, back to David for our next piece. Paul Blanchard conducts a series of interviews with famous people under the title Media Masters, which you can find on the internet. Today is the start of Prisons Week, and we hear Paul talking to Geoffrey Archer about his prison diaries. I reread your prison diaries, uh, I think last year, and I've read them twice now, all three of them, and I found them absolutely fascinating because uh, it was a real insight into kind of day-to-day prison life. I like the fact that you wrote it at the end of every day because mm. when there was, it really captured your uncertainty and, and your anxiety on a, a particular night because you were worried to say of an inmate assaulting you or something going wrong. And it was, if you'd have written it, say, weekly, you would have said, oh, I had a bit of aggro with the guy on the Monday and it was resolved by the Wednesday. But actually, the anxiety that you, you kind of chronicle on the evening of the Monday night, that day you're facing that threat, I thought really kind of really brought you into it in a way that um, no other prison diary I've read articulated so clearly. Well, I think a part of that was because I was desperate to kill time rather than just lie on the bed and do nothing or go for another walk. The, uh, the uh, ability to sit down and write for two hours everything that had happened, uh, I found fascinating. And some of the human beings I met, absolutely fascinating. And they not only dominated, as they should, the three prison diaries. A prisoner of birth was greatly influenced by that period in my life. And I wrote 12 uh, short stories as well, because I picked up little vignettes from prisoners who told me amazing stories. Of course, I couldn't be sure whether they were true or not, but it didn't matter. They were amazing stories. So a great deal of benefit came out in the sense that I learnt about other people. I also learned how privileged I was. I had a kid sit on the end of the bed just before he was uh, leaving. He came to say goodbye. He said, I swap places with you. And I said, what do you mean? I'm 61 years old. You're 24. He said, I'm a drug addict and I'm not sure how much longer I'll live. And I don't know, got no one to meet me when I walk out the gate. You've got Mary, you've got your family. I've got nothing. I'll swap places with you. And he really meant it. And he was found in a hedge in Boston, in Lincolnshire, with a needle in his arm and died on a cold night. Oh, that's very sad. And it really brought it home to me how privileged I was, how lucky I was. Now, I don't know the history of that young man or what he went through, but it can't have been totally his fault. You could almost not help becoming a campaigner for penal system reform and criminal justice reform if you've gone through that kind of thing, to see some of the ridiculous, as you so highlighted, some of the ridiculous things that happen in prison. I mean, as a society, we're not rehabilitating people. Just teaching prisoners to read and write would reduce their recidivism. I made a suggestion to the Home Secretary at the time that perhaps it would be wise to reward people who took education. To start with, I said, if you do washing up, you get £6 a week. If you work in the laundry house, you get £6 a week. If you clean the dormitories, you get £6 a week. If you go to education, you get £4 a week. And there were a lot of the young people saying to me, this isn't fair, Geoffrey. I mean, I want my cigarettes. I want my other things. I've got six quid. I can't go to education. So I think I played a tiny part in getting that levelled up. I hope so. And uh, I took a particular interest in, in three people after I left. And one of them I'm very proud of, who... Uh, is just about to come out after 20 years. But he's uh, got a BA, an MA and a PhD. So I'm very proud of him. Uh, He's worked very hard. He clearly had a a really good brain, but he never had any education. 
And he has taken advantage of that. The sad thing is, as you rightly point out, that not many people do. Do you think that's because of, as a society, we have a kind of duality to how we view criminals? I mean, I understand that most burglars, you know, can't read and write. If we taught them to read and write, they probably wouldn't offend. There's a drug issue, of course. If we give them treatment, they wouldn't do that. But on the other hand, if I get burgled tonight, I want my burglar to be punished severely and I want the whole Daily Mail thing thrown <laughs> at them. The, the, you almost want both. I, I can see it from both senses. And, and unfortunately, this is why the Home Secretary never t- tends to win, really, is that it's about punishment, where it shouldn't really be about punishment. Norway's got a fantastic penal system that genuinely rehabilitates people, but that wouldn't work in this country, would it? Because our culture says, no, lock them up. And throw the key away. Mm. Yes, you may be right. I wrote those books 16 years ago. Has it really been 16 years? And I years? can't remember what's in them, so wow. it's kind of you. Well, I read them more recently than you, then. <laughs> yeah. I would love to have met Mandela and have said to him, what incredible courage to come out of prison after all those years and not say to the South African people, kill everybody, we're going to win this. But to to be a pacifier, to be almost a saint in the way he took that country over and ran it. Um, So I'm a huge, huge fan. We had Sir Trevor MacDonald sitting in that very chair a few weeks ago and he said, uh, he named Mandela as one of his heroes, Mm. and he said... To, to come out of prison after all those years and, and, and have no bitterness and yeah. not be even Staggering. enforced. It, it was just an, a natural lack of bitterness. Staggering. And now it's the turn of Kingsway's Voices of Worship with a setting of Graham Kendrick's With My Whole Heart I Will Praise Thee.
And those were Kingsway's Voices of Worship with Graham Kendricks, With My Whole Heart I Will Praise You. And here we have the African Children's Choir with Oh Happy Day. Children's Choir with Oh Happy Day as arranged for the Edwin Hawkins singers in the 1960s, I think it was, but it's part of a much older hymn. Adrian Plass has written a book called The Unlocking, published by the Bible Reading Fellowship. 
Today, Adrian describes Gideon going into the enemy camp. Into the enemy camp. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. Gideon arrived at the camp just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. The other day, in Southampton, my taxi driver was forced to stop in a traffic jam and a a youngish, tough-looking character on the other side of the road waved and called out loudly in our direction. Loady, loady, loady! he shouted jovially. My driver responded to this odd communication as if it was the most hilarious joke he'd ever heard. Winding his window right down, he leaned out and yelled energetically back across the road, Lodi, Lodi, Lodi! Both men were almost convulsed with matey, back-slapping laughter as my taxi pulled away. But I was puzzled. Why would two normal men shout something like, Lodi, 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 at each other? I mean, why? Not for the first time, I felt excluded from this world of strangely coded bonhomie. As my taxi sped away, a staggeringly novel idea formed in my mind. Should I just for once find out what they'd been talking about? Nervously, I opened my mouth and entered the camp to which I did not belong, poised to retreat when defeat and humiliation overwhelmed me. Just now, I said, that guy shouted something at you. Yeah. He shouted, Lodi, 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 didn't he? Yeah. And you shouted, Lodi, 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 back. Back, yeah. And then you both laughed, right? Yeah, both laughed, yeah. I cleared my throat, mentally preparing myself for scornful amazement. But what does Lodi, Lodi, Lodi actually mean? Dunno. You don't know? I got the faintest, mate. For a few seconds, I was bereft of words. How could he not know? Was the world really inhabited by lunatics who shouted Lodi, Lodi, Lodi at each other and then fell about laughing? Yeah, but after he'd said it, you said it, and then you and him laughed, as if you both knew what you were talking about, and... Ah, well, he beats up taxi drivers, see? He beats up... Yeah, he beat up one of our blokes last week. Gets drunk, see? Scumbag when he's drunk. And when a bloke like that says, Lodi, 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 you don't ask him what he's on about. You just say, Lodi, Lodi, Lodi back, don't you? What did he get done for beating up your friend? Too right. It was me reported him. I expect when he finds out, he'll come looking for me and all. Got to do what's right, though, ain't you? What do you think the courts will give him? My companion smiled grimly. I hope, he said, they give him Lodi, Lodi, Lodi. So what's all this got to do with Gideon creeping into the camp of the Midianites? Well, my complete misreading of the Lodi, Lodi, Lodi incident was caused by an ugly amalgam of prejudices, fears and misconceptions about something that I foolishly and fearfully thought of as the way working men relate to each other. On this rare occasion when, by asking my question, I actually entered the camp of those who threatened me, I discovered that those two men who had seemed to be identical stones in a wall that excluded me 
could not, in fact, have been more different. It's worth reflecting that the road to freedom from fear will sometimes involve an expedition into the centre of the very thing that threatens us. There we may, like Gideon, learn a new truth that will fill us with hope. Oh, and by the way, if anyone out there knows what Lodi, Lodi, Lodi actually means, please let me know. Pray with me. What do you think of your flabby old church, Lord? I know you love and cherish it, but you must get so fed up with our reluctance to tread unknown or threatening paths because we're frightened of people or situations that are alien to us. I'm afraid if Jesus came back in the flesh today, he wouldn't be much more popular in the church than he was 2,000 years ago. Would I follow him anywhere that he asked me to go? I don't know. I just don't know. We pray for wisdom and courage. Wisdom to know when the time's come to step into the enemy camp. And Holy Spirit courage to enable us to do it. Forgive our timidity, Lord. Amen. P.S. I'm not sure if I want you to answer this prayer. Yes, I rather like the P.S. there. Uh, that was Adrian Plass. Just a reminder, though, that you're tuned to Heartland FM on 97.5 or the Digital Access Channel or heartland.scot. And if you're one of the hospitals in the Dundee area, you're getting us via Bridge FM. But wherever you are, welcome to Heartland FM and welcome to this programme. It's Heart and Soul with David Wilkie and me, Howard Simpson. We're still working from home with Sam Ross pulling it all together. Now, coming up in a little while, we'll be hearing about the Athol Centre, whose work has changed during the pandemic, as it should. This is Andrea Agana with God of Justice.
God of Justice. The song was written by Tim Hughes, but that was Andriana Arganda singing it that time. Uh, now over to David one more time. Ramsey Beatty spoke to Ian Walker, director of the Athol Centre in Pitlochry, about the new Changing Places toilet facility. It's Ramsey Beatty here on Heartland FM and today I'm joined by Ian Walker, the director of the Athol Centre. And last time Ian joined us, he was telling us about the Changing Places toilet that the centre's fundraising for. It's good to have you here again, Ian. Well, thank you, Ramsey, for having me again. It's good to be able to update you on what's what to do with the Changing Places toilet. So just to begin, Ian, could you tell us what the Athol Centre is, please? Well, normally the Athol Centre is a conference centre and community venue, but at the moment things are very different, so largely we are the local food bank for the surrounding area. And it's quite a special year for the Athol Centre. Can you tell us how you've been celebrating it? Well, Ramsey, yes, just last year it was our 50th anniversary, so we had planned a series of events from last June to this June. Um, So many things happened, and then, of course, given the, the, the pandemic some things didn't happen. But we decided that our 50th anniversary project was to construct a changing places toilet. A 
And the Changing Places toilet is a large toilet which is over twice the size of a normal disability access toilet that a hoist so that people, somebody can be taken out of the wheelchair onto the toilet, into a shower, onto a changing mat and such like by, by carers. And that's what we have been doing this year to raise money to, to construct this. And all being well, we will start next month in November. So what would a Changing Places toilet mean for Pitlockery? Well, what it will mean is that there is accessible toilets that will suit up to about a quarter of a million people in the country. So many of these folk require specialist toilet provision and normally they would look at an app, see that there's nothing in Pitlochry and they and their family or their carers would just bypass Pitlochry and not come. So this would mean that they would go onto an app, see that there is one in Pitlochry and say, yes, let's go to Pitlochry either for the theatre or Enchanted Forest or the shops or just to look around the town. Come and stay, possibly, either in the centre or in some other place locally. So there's toilets out here in Pitlochry, but why would people need this particular one? A normal um, disabled access loo is big enough for somebody to get in with a carer, but somebody not requiring assistance to get on and off the loo and just to be helped out. So this is a big toilet so that up to two carers can go in. Somebody can then be taken out of their wheelchair by a hoist. So it's somebody who's not able to get out themselves. Then they can be placed in the toilet, they can be placed in the changing mat or changing bed, they can be placed in a shower... And all done with, you know, a, a level of um, dignity and and respect. It means that people can hopefully see that Pitlochry is an ideal place to come because there is provision for them. And it sounds quite evolved. How much does it cost to build one of these? Well, it is costing us about £75,000. And that is because we are combining two old, small disabled access loos that were put up in, the, in 1980 the old lift shaft pump room and two cleaning cupboards so there are a number of walls to come down. There are four steel beams to be put in and another one which actually will hold the hoist because it's got to be substantial. So there's a lot of alterations to be done here. Then we've got to put in the hoist, the specialist toilet, a shower and all the other bits and pieces that are required for this specific room. Now, you've got to have certain things to be classified as a changing places toilet, and that is regulated by an organisation called PAMIS, who will accept a toilet of this style only if it contains certain things and is of a certain size. And that's why it's costing quite a bit of money, and most of which we now have. And I've heard it's groups like the Friends of Pitlockery Hospital who've made it over the fundraising mark. How have you been raising money for this project? Away since last year, in fact, um, even maybe a bit year before, we started slowly beginning to raise funds because we had to have architects' fees and construction engineers and asbestos survey and all that kind of thing carried out. So we've been raising funds locally by having a crowdfunding campaign. And that overall has brought in over £10,000. We've had big sums of money, two lots of £20,000 from different organisations. And um, we've been having our own thrift shop. And we reckon that just recently has brought us in over £2,000. People then come and give us money anywhere 
from £5 to £100. Local people have come in and done that. And very recently, yes, the Friends of Heartland Community Hospital have helped top up to get us up to the 70000 with a generous donation of £5,000. So fundraising is still going on and money just comes in in large sums and small sums. And we envisage that we'll soon reach our total come mid-November. And can we expect to see any more thrift shops coming up? Well, <laughs> some of that depends on where we are, what we get from Nicola over the next wee while. But if there's a sign outside in the pavement saying thrift shop, that means it's open. If it's not there, that means it's not open. And we do rely on a few volunteers one a day to come in and, and assist us with that. But, you know, we've had all sorts of people supporting us with what we're doing. Eve Muirhead, a local Olympic curler, has added her name to, to support us. And so has Jason Leach, the clinical director for Scotland, who we often see on television on a daily basis. So it's been great to have support from various people throughout Scotland over this last year to make it happen. And it sounds like the town's really enthusiastic about it happening. Yes, I mean, we've got to move ahead. We can't stand still. People who've got a disability want to be able to get out and about as much as the rest of us. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to help out there. That's what we're doing. We didn't want to stand still and wait for COVID to finish before we did anything. We wanted to plough ahead regardless and continue with our 50th anniversary project. And despite everything this year, it sounds like the Apple Centre has still been really quite busy. What else has been happening? Well, yes, apart from that, as I said earlier, we're the local um, food bank, one took off the ground in Kenlochranach and in Aberfeldy. We're part of a network of food banks around um, Perth and Kinross, and we meet on Zoom ever so often. We also have what we call the food share gazebo out the front of the centre. Every day we go up to the co-op and we get ambient food that's due to be thrown out by the co-op on that day. That's things like bread and, and fruit and veg, sometimes cakes and things. We bring them down and put them under a gazebo on tables and that gazebo is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the local Rotary Club support us with that by supplying um, the gazebo and a few other things as well to make it happen. Just to thank the local community very much for their support over this last while by supporting us either through the thrift shop or by giving us, uh, in some cases, very generous donations. And we're always grateful for that level of support from people and from businesses in town too, which has been good. Just to say a lot of businesses who food-related businesses also support us in the food bank and we're grateful for that too. Well I'm really glad to hear that there's been so much support and it's been so successful this year. Thanks very much Ramsey and hopefully um, I'll be able to do a, a final update in a few months time. We aim to finish the project in, in February. Well, it'll be great to hear from you again Ian. Take care, thank you. One thing about the pandemic is that it's brought out a lot of kindness in the community and I can say as one of the older people in the community I've experienced the kindness of our neighbours. Overwhelming kindness, really. This is Red Hurley, and we can be kind. So many things we can't control so many hurts that happen every day So many heartaches that pierce our souls So much pain that won't ever go away How do we make it better? How do we make it through? 
can we do when there's nothing we can do? We can be kind, we can take care of each other, we can remember that deep down inside we all need the same thing, and maybe we'll find, if we are there for each other, that together we'll weather whatever tomorrow may bring And it's not enough to talk about it Not enough to sing a song We must walk the walk about it Do our part Give our hearts so someone else can get us Everlasting. Mm-hmm. 